Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. to Nightlight. We, we very greatly appreciate you sharing your time with us. We so know how much it is valued both by you and by us and we try to bring you some really fabulous people and of course Mark is doing just exactly that tonight. want to first thank Ken Quiethawk for all of the work that he has done and for his wonderful intro that he's provided us with and also um, all of the work that he's done in honoring the Native American storyteller um, traditions. Check him out on the internet. He is an amazing man and it's something that everybody should be aware of. Mark has tonight a favorite of ours, a lady who has written on so many different eclectic, strange and unusual topics and she always brings wisdom, humor, insight and a little bit of a spiritual twist all over the place as well. So um want want to get on with this, Mark. I, I, you know, you and Dr. Rita are both favorites of mine, so I'm looking forward to tonight's show. Oh, I am too. Yeah, well, I got scared there for uh, right at the beginning. Uh, was like yeah, this, and this, hoping this, you were trying to get even hiccup. with me. About, yeah, about oh. uh, <laughs> you know, a couple weeks ago with the uh, ten minutes. Uh, Gap of uh, <laughs> you know, the the really fun discussion with uh, Sherry that no one else heard. But uh, okay, so we, yeah, I'll fix there, it up before there, there, I put there it wasn't, up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Okay, we, we did so have here, a hiccup. Oh, okay. Well, it's, hopefully that's the only only one. But uh, yep, yeah. Might as well get started. Uh, just asking the audience, you know, have you read Herman Melville's you know, Bartleby the Scrivener? It gives us profiles of the uh, different types of personalities, you know, like the characters Turkey Nippers and Ginger Nut in the workplace. Um, you know, are, are there uh, various
very obvious personality traits with our coworkers or bosses. Um, you know, if there's like a high turnover rate with employees, is that expressive of a boss being a narcissist? If we didn't stay at that job too long, what, what does that say about our personalities for taking the job in the first place? You know, should, should, should we have you know, picked up on something? Um, you know, do, do we find the same traits within our families, friends, and schools? Uh, our guest is Dr. Rita Louise, who is returning to Night and Light to discuss her new publication, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist. Uh, Dr. Rita earned her doctorate in natural health counseling. She has been a mainstay in late night talk radio as the longtime hostess of Just Energy Radio, and she's been a guest on all the prestigious shows. Uh, you know, we're colleagues at Ancient American Magazine too. Uh, we're, we're in edition number one fifteen. Uh, you, you can learn more about her other fascinating books and movie at soulhealer.com. Hi, Dr. Rita. Hey, Mark. Hi, Barbara. How are you? I'm doing fine. So, I just, can I just make a comment about your 10 minutes of dead air? Sure. Just just pile it on. I I can't I just am putting out to Barbara that maybe you were abducted and you have missing time. Could, could be. How about that? <laughs> or they abducted him and, and kicked him out and sent him right back. Oh, you know, well, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, the dark fleet didn't want me. <laughs> it, it's a subliminal plug for an upcoming show. But And, and the Nazi UFOs thought I was going to take over. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, this this kind of sounds like um, we're just like just gonna forget talking about the book and just make fun of me for the next two hours. Let's, let's well, pray. see, I was just trying to cover your back. You know, it's like he couldn't help it; he was abducted. Oh, th- th- <laughs> thank you, Doctor Rita. <laughs> I got your back. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Yeah, we. No, uh, it's. Yeah, we. We need to laugh. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure the the mermaid and the human billboard will be chiming in soon too after the 30 second delay. But yeah, you have. uh, an astonishing career studying UFOs and uh, missing time, ancient rituals and cultures, the unexplained, Bigfoot. Um, But your new book, uh, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and Narcissist, um, ventures into new territory uh why the change 
Well, you know, one of my philosophies in life is that I pay attention to what's going on inside of me, you know? And so if there is some inner voice, you know, I call that spirit saying to me, you need to do this. You know, I used to argue a lot, but then I would just do it anyway, because I discovered that doing what I was being prompted to do was just better than not doing it um, because I would get, Ooh, the cosmic two by four. <laughs> so I learned to avoid the cosmic two by four. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't really much after I had released my last book, Stepping Out of Eden, mm-hmm. and um, I was in a relationship with a gentleman, and he was um, odd. I'll just say odd. And I finally uh, kicked him out and was doing some research, you know, on narcissistic personality because I suspected that that might have been what was going on but I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And it was really interesting because I was taking his things to him because he said that he would, you know, get them as soon as he could, which I knew was code for don't hold your breath. And so I got a friend with a truck, packed all his stuff in and then got my friend to drive me and his stuff two hours to where he was now staying. And, um, you know, synchronicity, does tend to fly when things are moving in the right direction. And so I decided I didn't want to go to the new home and had my friend drop me off at a restaurant and was sitting in the restaurant and I got a text from my ex-husband's current wife who wanted to talk to me, who I was just kind of surprised that, you know, I only ever spoke to the woman once. And so she said, you know, I've been noticing these behaviors and I wanted to talk to you about them. So I'm like, hmm, okay, I'm intrigued because he was a piece of work. And so I get on the phone with her and she's like, he's a narcissist. You know, and I had just been watching these videos about narcissistic personality. And what that conversation did, brief as it was, was kind of ripped this band-aid off my third eye, you know, because I was looking at the relationship I was just ending. Then I was looking at the relationship that I had with this gentleman, the one, the, the ex-husband, who was very similar to the guy I just got rid of. And then I started looking at other relationships that I had and other marriages, embarrassingly, that I've been in that took me back in time, back in time, back in time to my family of origin. And I came to see that I had been well-trained in accepting bad behavior from people by my family of origin. And so I started researching that. And not much after I started this, this healing journey into myself that I got the message, you need to write a book. So I did. And so the book, it's not a memoir, but it really is kind of a process that the process that I went through digging into myself to understand why I kept getting myself involved in really not healthy relationships. Uh, you know, even the you know doctor needs help from time to time. You know, Ministers get sick. Oh, doc, 
you know, doctor uh, you know, ha- has uh, you know, medical problems as well. So, you know, so you had this, uh, you know, hit, hit a uh, speed bump. Um, it, it was it was more than a speed bump, Mark. It was this revelation. It was intense. It was holy crap. I mean, Mark, you've known me for a long time. Barbara's known mm-hmm. me for a long time. You know, and it was so far off my radar of what was going on and what I was accepting so far off my radar that it was shocking. <laughs> it, just, it, you know, and it's just kind of like, you know how you hit those moments where it's like your soul opens up, you know, mm-hmm. and you really have no choice but to go and stop and look and investigate. That's where it left me. And, um, and I'm glad that it did, you know, I, I think I joke around in there and say, well, I think I needed, you know, like, you know, it was more than the sirens. It was more than the lights and the, you know, all of this stuff going on around me. I literally needed to have a car come and run me over and leave me in the street to get it. You know, and I think a lot of people, you know, find themselves in these situations and don't realize that they're in a kind of messed up situation and that they have a choice that they can get out of it and heal themselves so that they don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, and it's it seems like you, you have become much uh, stronger after confronting these un- unfortunate events, and you know you're you know moving forward as you know, like you know the term implies as a wounded healer, and you know, you're helping others with your new book. I mean, that's my hope, you know, you know, and there's, you know, the stronger part, but I already was pretty freaking strong. Um, But you know, the part that is the best for me is that I'm actually happy now. You know, I've spent a lot of years not really being happy. I've worked a lot. You know, I've written six books, done this, done that, done, you know, this plethora of things, but I've never really been happy on the inside. And it's really sad to even say that out loud, Um, but I'm happy. Good for you. You know, and, and it's interesting and I'll share this with you. You know, I have a group of friends because, you know, I moved to Podunkville, Texas, which after I did, I was like, oh my God, but I've actually have a circle of really great people And I look at pictures, you know, prior to the move and early in the move. And then I look at pictures of me now, you know, people, you know, like you're out doing something and people are like with their cell phone taking pictures and you can literally see a change in my face, which I think is amazing. There's like this glow off of me because I'm happy. It's amazing. And I think anybody anybody can have happiness in their lives if that's something that they want, you know, but you have to kind of work for it to have it. It just takes some of these events to make you realize you know, have these 
realizations and epiphanies. Oh, exactly. You know, and I think for me, you know, some of it is I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, it's like we live our lives and we go day to day living, you know, and for a lot of people just surviving, you know, and you don't realize that when this happens to me or when I experience that or when I have this feeling or whatever, that it could be different, you know, that you could be different, that you could be making different choices. And that's really what this book looks to do is to help you understand where you came from what's going on inside of you so that you can start making other choices, you know, so that you can live a happier life so that you can live as your authentic self so that your inside actually matches your outside. All right. Okay. And as we start working towards uh, discussing these personality traits, like, narcissism and uh, being em- empathic. Uh, you, what is the uh, prevalence of these personality traits? Is, is it, you know, is, you know, like 5% of the population, to, is it more women than men? Ooh, I don't really have a statistic I would think it would be more women than men, although men definitely are more empathic. So I'm talking about the empath being an empath. Um, You know, men tend to be a little bit more narcissistic than women, although there are some very narcissistic, you know, there are a lot of narcissistic women out there. Um, You know, I would like to say it's a fairly equal opportunity thing going on, but I can't really say that you know i think it's a little bit more women empaths men narcissists but yeah um yeah as i was you know doing some prep uh just just you know a couple hours ago i saw this one uh post about um you know the rise of narcissism with all the social media and you know people just doing selfies posting those all over the place and oh there's a need to be seen as being far more important than you really uh really are and 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 this article just brought brought that to yeah, the reader's attention that um, you know, social media could be playing a role in creating these narcissistic behaviors. I mean, I think social media has a certain place in it, um, but I also mm-hmm. think that you know there's the whole spare the rod and spoil the child. You know, and it's it's really is a dual-edged sword. Um, you know, if you spare the rod and spoil your, the child, you know, we find that more and more where parents are not disciplining their children. And I don't mean hitting them, you know, but 
having there be consequences for their behavior. Um, and that leaves the child thinking that they can do whatever they want and there won't be any penalty. You know, mm-hmm. when um, my boys were young, the, the younger one decided one night to climb out of his bedroom window and I don't know, it was like two o'clock in the morning. We got a call from the police because him and his friends were supposedly having a sleepover at our house, which wasn't happening because there was no sleepover happening. And then we found out that his friend took his mother's car and they were riding around in this kid's mother's car. Well, they were all like 15 and none of them even had a permit. And so my kid, you know, he lost his bedroom door. He was grounded for three months. I mean, he had consequences. Um, His friend, his parents did nothing. They said, well, if you wanted to drive the car, you should have said something and we could have got you a permit. And so he learned nothing, you know, and his parents put no consequence on the behavior, you know. And so, you know, but again, it's a little bit of a dual-edged sword because if you apply too many consequences or don't pay attention and there isn't a balance between expectations and nurturing – You know, you can grow up with kids that are screwed up and, oh, they might become empaths or narcissists too. You know, so it's, (laughs) you know, it's a pretty slippery slope um, in either case. You know, and I think it's parenting plays a very major role, you know, because if a parent can't be there for their child, then maybe they shouldn't, and I hate saying this out loud, but I'm just going to say it because, you know, you all know me, then maybe they shouldn't be a parent. You know, maybe they should think about that whole part, that if they're not going to be there and support and take care of and nurture their children, then their children are going to have issues down the road. Yeah, and, you know, that was a nice segue to my next question <laughs> is, you know, you're, you know, to, yeah, use the uh, phrase, you know, spare the rod, and you know, gave us the story of the uh, stealing the car. Uh, yeah, you know, parent, you, know, you do go through, uh, you know, various types of parenting skills, uh, like being really authoritarian and you know there are all these rules and the sub rules and you know it's uh, a, a child could do nothing right with that many uh rules uh and it's like the helicopter parents and uh you know the uh, uninvolved parents you know which uh very frequently leads to neglect. You know, uh, they might be uh, ha- having chemical dependency uh, problems. Uh, to, you know, ha- what are some of the, the these traits that uh, parenting traits that uh, go to form these types of personalities? As far as the parents are concerned? 
uh, you know, like you know, the different types of uh, parenting skill, uh, you know, just outright abusive skills because abuse does affect both personality uh, is the root for both personality mm-hmm. uh, uh, types and yeah you, know, you give us quite a few pages of different mm-hmm. different personalities from the parents right and, and so there are parent what's called parenting styles and there are four parenting styles you know so you mentioned the first one which is the authoritarian parent you know and they are the you know spare the rod spoil the child and they you know live life uh based on rules you know negotiation Mm -hmm. is not non-existent you know and you're expected to obey orders and you know are required to do whatever is required and if you don't do what they say or what they want, then you're always punished. And so these parents tend to, um, you know, want all of this stuff, but not really respond to the child or the child's needs or the child's thoughts and feelings. And so this type of parenting style, I mean, they're very controlling. That would be another word that you could use for an authoritarian mm-hmm. parent is that they're very controlling and you know because they would rather bend their child to their will you know if the child is unruly at all it can turn into an abusive situation or a situation with neglect because the parents are saying this is what i want and it really doesn't matter what you want at all you know then we have permissive parents and they're kind of like Friends, you know, and I think we've all have known people, you know, whether it's their, you know, our our friends, their parents, or parents who this is the way they treat their kids, where, you know, they don't really demand anything of them. They're more the the friend of the child uh, versus the parent. You know, they don't have a lot of rules or expectations, um, and so. You know, they don't make any dis- any efforts to discipline the child. And so that kind of regulation, you know, identifying what's right and wrong, et cetera, is really left up to the child, you know, and, you know, kind of their moniker is kids will be kids and they mm-hmm. will let them do pretty much whatever they want. Um, you know, but their response is so if there's something that has happened to the child, they will be there to back them up, but, you know, not in like day-to-day situations. Then there's the uninvolved parent who, um, you know, they just really aren't there. You know, these are the parents, you know, like your, your parents are doctors and lawyers and you're brought up by a nanny, you know, or you're right. a latchkey kid. And so uninvolved parents, I mean, it could be that they're very neglectful, but it could be that they're just, so busy taking care of other things that there's just not any time for the child. And so, you know, and with the uninvolved parent, one of the things they have found is that, you know, abuse issues can fall or mental health issues can also make it challenging for the parent to care for the child. And so the child, you know, that's how they experience 
you know, their parents is that they're uninvolved and they're pretty much left to raise themselves. You know, they might get food and shelter and clothing, but after that, it's like they have to take on, you know, all of the responsibility of raising themselves, you know, but I, there is an ideal style and that is the authoritative parent. So not authoritarian, but authoritative which, you know, they could have picked a different word because they just are too close, in right. my personal opinion. Um, you know, and these parents have very high standards, but they're also very responsive to their child's needs. And so, you know, um, you know so in the story with uh, my son, it's like there were definite consequences for his bad behavior because the expectation was, you don't climb out your window and put a chair under your doorknob so we can't open your door and get in there. Um, you know, but then if they had something going on at school or they weren't feeling good or they had a homework project that they needed to work on, you know, I was there to support them, you know, or if they had issues going on or whatever, you know, we were there to support them in their needs, you know, so it wasn't like, you know, it was just all one-sided, you know, so there's a give and take where the child, um, one, knows what the limits are, you know, for the most part. I mean, I think, you know, if you're a 15-year-old, you know you shouldn't climb out the window. I would think you wouldn't need to be told that. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, but in the flip side, you know, there's a nurturing environment that, you know, they care and listen to what they want and what they need and try to support them, you know, within, I'm going to say a certain amount of structure, you know, I, with the boys, you know, I would tell them, it's like, you know, this is a give and take relationship, you know, so if you want me to take you to go do something, or you want 20 bucks that you can go with your friends to go do something, it's like, well, what do I get out of it? You know, it's like, well, here, you can go mow the yard, you know? And then it's, you know, they're not being just empowered to just put their hand out and expect. You know, they're learning that there's rules and boundaries and consequences, and they actually turned out to be pretty good kids. I mean, young adults now. <laughs> actually, they're both old, but... <laughs> so, you know, so those are the four different types of parenting styles. Okay. And you know, maybe we should spend a, a minute on auras and the, the chakras as we start looking at uh, uh, the way things are supposed to be, you know, finding the balance and where they start going out of, out of whack. And, you know, at at the end, we just tie it all together about, you know, with, with the, uh, hopefully we'll, at the end of this two hours, we'll all be able to align our chakras and, (laughs) <laughs> yeah and it, it was and you know we could say it was a healing show so uh so, you know let's talk a little bit about 
what the what we should be aiming for with the um, seven chakras. Okay. So, um, trying to think of how to frame this. You know, so I I'll, I think I'll just start very beginner. Um, you know, so there's our physical body that we're all aware of. And then there is our, what's called our subtle body. And our subtle body is made up of number of component parts, which include the aura or the energy field around the body. And the mm-hmm. chakras, the energy centers that run up and down the spine. And so one of the reasons why I bring this up in the book is because when we are upset, when we are triggered, when we are unhappy, I mean, there's a whole list. Um, one of the things that happens is that we get knocked out of what I call, or a number of people call, the present moment, where we're mm-hmm. not here, where we're not in the present. You know, and I think right. we all can recognize that when we go to a park and sit out in nature and we can just feel the world around us. And we're not thinking about work and we're not worrying about what to make for dinner. We just are. We just are being. Um, But most of us (laughs) don't live in that space. You know, most of us, you know, are worrying about something or thinking about something or planning something or, you know, we're not in the moment. We're not in in the present. And so I bring up the auric chakras and energy movement Because in order to really understand what's going on inside of us, especially when we get triggered, you know, because we're talking about what's going on inside of us and what keeps us from being happy, um, you can get a deeper understanding, in my opinion, by looking at it from a subtle energy perspective. And so when we are not in the present moment, You know, one of the things that happens is that we, as spirit, are knocked out of our body. And so, as an example, and I know we've all had um, this situation happen, I'll give a couple of examples. You know, the the most uh, simplest one for people to recognize is, you know, you're in your car and you're driving to work, you know, and like, la, 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 la. And then the next thing you know, you're at work. And you don't really know how you got from point A to point B. I mean, you know but you don't really remember the entire trip because during that trip you were working on some project or you were thinking about this or you were thinking about that. And in those moments where you are not in your car driving down the road, you're, you're out of your body. You're out of the present moment. And when that happens, it interferes with the flow of subtle energy through the physical body and through the subtle bodies, which makes it so that we can't really ground. Um, It makes it so that if something is bothering us, it can really, you know, trigger us and activate and become much more intense, you know? And so later on in the book or throughout the book, you know, I talk about how when things happen to us, how it affects the subtle body 
And then in the end, you know, there's a whole chapter just on energy medicine where it delves into um, what you can do, excuse me, to heal yourself on subtle energy levels, you know, including learning how to ground your body, um, you know, techniques for getting in the present moment um, to help correct this uh, imbalance, you know, because when we're out of our body, when we're not in the present moment, you know, it's kind of like we have trained ourselves to not be there. And so by practicing paying attention and grounding and being in the moment, we can retrain ourselves because we don't have to be there. We don't have to be that way, but we never really were taught how to not do that. So. Oh, this this is all very very important to lay down the foundations of you know the healing process. So when you know we start talking about the these personality types uh, like the uh, empathic and narcissistic uh, personalities, what are some of the uh, primary characteristics of these uh, of their behaviors? Okay, you know, so I will start with the empath. Okay, huh? and I just want to put out a little clarification: is that being an empath is different, or it's a different level of having empathy. You know, so empathy is you hear that someone loses their job and inside you feel sorry for them. Okay, if you have empathy, okay, because there are people that don't have any and then they would be a narcissist. But, you know, (laughs) uh, um, you know, but being an empath, you know, and to me, it's kind of like a giant spectrum where people who are heavy duty, hardcore empaths on one end, you know, and then, you know, someone with like narcissistic personality disorder on the other end of the spectrum. And with somebody having empathy, okay, the ability to empathize with someone else, kind of sitting in the middle. Okay, so that's kind of the scale I'm working with. And so we're talking about everybody to the left side of the scale becoming more this way the further they travel down. Okay. You know, so people that are empaths tend to be very highly sensitive. And so obviously the further down the spectrum you are, the more sensitive you are going to be um, in your surroundings. Um, You know, so I joke around. I mean, because one of the things that happens is that empaths, You know, they can sense what's going on around them. You know, they can feel the energy of what's going on around them. You know, my joke is, you know, how many people have gone to Walmart, you know, or gone to a concert or some very crowded venue, and after about an hour, it's like, I got to get out. All right, for me, Walmart, about 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) It's a fact, you know. And it's interesting, you know, because you, I mean, the word I use is I get overloaded, you know, and I'll just use me as an example. I get overloaded, 
you know, and if I don't have a list, I will walk in and have this, you know, if I don't have a list, I'll be like, okay, you know, I need to get da 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 and I'll walk out with two things because I can't really think of anything else. And all I can think of is getting out of there because my body just can't deal with the energy. And it's interesting because I love going grocery shopping and I will go grocery shopping anytime, but Walmart, mm -mm -mm. nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know, and so, but it's dealing with those crowds that can lead you to overload. Um, you know, and so, um, you know, one of the other things that is tied to it is that if you're not aware of what's going on, you know, you experience this sense of overload, but you think that this is what's going on with me, that this energy or this anxiety or this tension that you're feeling is yours. And so you might go and react to it or overreact when it really didn't even have anything to do in, with you in the first place. So that's really kind of interesting. Um, they are, again, highly sensitive, but they tend to be very warm, loving, compassionate people um, that are often seen as being caretakers. You know, so they are the doctors and lawyers and nurses and teachers and anybody that's in more of a, you know, and I'm going to say service type profession, you know, where mm -hmm. it's your job to help people. Um, and so, I mean, that's the general term. But when you get into that, oh, and then one other thing is that empaths can be psychic sponges, which I've kind of talked about, but I like that phrase, psychic sponges, you know. And so, like, when you go to Walmart, it's like you're just, you know, soaking up. I'm a giant bouncy towel just soaking up the energy from the world around me. Um, you know, and actually, I'm going to share a little – this is kind of a Walmarty story, but it's not Walmart. Um, I mean, I've done a lot of trade shows, you know, like Whole Life Expo, New Life Expo, uh -huh. a lot of shows. And some of those things get packed with people, packed. And – one of the things that I figured out was I can't leave my booth, you know, because I can make like a little self-containment space in my booth and I have my table and it keeps the energy on the other side of the booth. Mm -hmm. And sense. then if I need to use the restroom, I have to be very strategic about it, you know, and I have to like leave my booth, but I can't go too close to another booth because they might want to talk to me and that's too much. You know, and I just like beeline over there. And if somebody doesn't bring me something to eat, I don't eat because I can't navigate to get food. I mean, it's <laughs> it really is very interesting. But in the same breath, you know, a lot of people say it's a blessing and a curse. So, I mean, that's kind of the curse part where sometimes you have a hard time navigating. But the blessing part is, is that you can tap into other people's feelings and their emotional space. And it's one of the things that makes really good psychics be really good psychics is because they're able to tap into that energy. Because if you couldn't do that, you couldn't do that work at all. Okay. You know, but some people, um, at, because of their upbringing, 
Okay, so I believe that individuals who are empaths, especially highly sensitive empaths, usually come from a toxic household. Um, and I say that because while they were growing up, they learned that they had to put their little spidey senses out in order to feel and detect what was going on inside the house. You know, and so dad came home, you know, and dad's an alcoholic, and now I need to, like, be more aware and, you know, be on my best mm -hmm. behavior or do whatever I need to do. And, you know, or there might be a, a look that gets passed across the kitchen table and there's not anything said, but inside you can feel that the vibe changed and now I have to respond to it in a different way. You know, and so depending on what happened, you know, there might be a lot of inner wounding that happens, which can activate some negative core beliefs. And so for empaths, the the most common, or there's two, is kind of this idea of like worthlessness or defectiveness, um, where, you know, you just feel like you don't have any value or you're too fat or you're stupid or you're, you know, you don't matter. I mean, there's a, a litany of things that you could think negatively about yourself. But then the other one is something that's called people pleasing, where mm -hmm. they will go and use all of their time and energy to take care of other people. Um, you know, and with that, you know, they are what I call a wounded empath, you know, because it's not necessarily coming from a healthy place. It's not coming from a place of, well, I'm helping you because I'm choosing to help you. It's more I'm helping you because if I don't help you, there'll be a negative consequence or you won't love me or blah, 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 whatever that is. And so you do it to the point where, you know, you're not taking care of yourself at all. So and so that's the people pleaser, which tends to be more tied to the empath. Okay, any any empath questions before I move on to the narcissist part? Yeah, I think you clearly uh, defined the em empathic uh, behaviors. Let's uh, get into the narcissist's uh, traits. Okay, so in my personal opinion, you know, narcissists tend to be the energy vampires of the planet, you know, and I think most people listening to the show, this show know what an energy vampire is, you know, but they, they lack empathy, even though I tend to find that they tend to be sensitive for the most part, um, but they lack empathy and they're sensitive because if something's being said about them, they want to pick up on that vibe. I mean, they don't care about you. They just care about what you might say about them or the vibe you're giving them. Uh, you know, and I, but they tend to, they t can be very charming on the outside, you know, and you think that they're the nicest person on the planet. Um, but what can, what people have found is that, you know, this is a false front. So they might be very nice on the outside, you know, like, oh, you know, Mr. Lewis is the kindest, nicest man, you know, and this is like with the church crowd, and then he goes home and beats his kid. 
mm-hmm. know, and so there you can have that big discrepancies. Say that again. You you have th- those kinds of uh, behaviors through, throughout the society, and just mm-hmm. you know the. Uh, you know, just uh, look, look at some of the stuff that goes on in churches, like you you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there are other ones that are quiet and self-deprecating. You know, and they have the ultimate pity party. You know, but bo- bottom line for both of you know the more outgoing and the more introverted ones is that they can turn their charm on in a heartbeat. You know, so if they want something from you. They will nuzzle up next to you and be your bestie, bestie friend until you don't have anything they want anymore. And they will drop you like a cold potato. Boom. Um, You know, so they tend to be master manipulators. Um, They, uh, you know, one of the things they need is they need attention and they need energy from other people. Um. And so they feel like it's other people to provide them with praise and and admiration. They feel like other people should meet their needs, although they're not interested in meeting any of your needs. Um, And, um, you know, and if their needs aren't being met, then, again, they'll get rid of you. You know, one of the things, the more intensely narcissistic you can become, they will actually – create situations in which they can be mean to you, you know, and say mean things to you, do mean things to you, um, because they're still getting attention, even though it's negative attention, you know, and that includes you sitting there thinking about them and worrying about them all the time, which takes you out of the present moment and out of your body, which means you're not grounded, Um, you know, because their goal is to control your energy, you know, and to suck energy off of you. Um, You know, I was talking um, earlier about the people-pleasing core belief that uh, empaths have, where Uh narcissists, you know, they also might have inner wounding of, um, you know, have big self-worth issues, you know, have that same kind of thing going on where they don't value themselves, you know, but for them, they're based more on an entitlement core belief, you know, so we started the show off talking about, you know, entitlement, um, you know, and because they believe that they're better than everybody else and what they say is smarter than everybody else and, if you have anything to say that's to the contrary, they're going to let you know upfront and personal that that's not the case, you know. And so it's just a very interesting characteristic, you know. And I can't say that everyone on the planet has that there is anybody that has not met someone who's narcissistic. You know, they're the people that will sit there and talk your ear off and talk your ear off and just be like, hmm, 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 and then you try to say something, they just cut you off and start talking more. You know, so it's not really even a conversation. It's just a blah, 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 Dr. Rita, <laughs> blah, 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 <laughs> and, 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 
you, know, you just mentioned the uh, energy vampires. Uh, do the narcissists have an, an ability to pick out the empaths? Because you, know, you, know, you have uh, – and if you watch court TV or you know, one of those type of uh, shows where criminals are, are on there, uh, you know, you know, they just say, oh, no, I, I could tell, tell uh, Caesar's going to be my uh, next victim. Well, they'll just, it, you know, the, you know, there's that, you know, some people have that ability to. Yeah, they just laser in on someone, and yeah, that that's going to be the uh, you know that the victim's undoing, and they don't even know what they're uh, you know in, in for. They just you know they're at the right place at the right time, and you know this uh, like you know serial killers there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you have almost like the same thing with you know, the narcissist, the you know, like energy vampire, being able to see that a certain empath is going to be their next victim because it, it's you know what you know you draw us into in your book and then you know. Get us out of it is is yeah it, it does seem like there is a war going on between the, these uh, two personality types. Mm-hmm. So, couple of comments. Um, I mean, as I said earlier, I think that most narcissists are pretty sensitive, you know, because they many times grow grew up in a war zone just like the empath. You know, so there is a certain amount of sensitivity that they come in with. And this is my belief, I'll say belief, at this time, okay? And it's Mm -hmm. subject to change, but this is kind of where I'm at today, is that people that are narcissistic um, aren't intentionally trying to hurt people. You know, there isn't this underlying, I'm going to do this to screw them up. Okay, now if you're a psychopath, which also has huge narcissistic tendencies as part of that, then you don't care. And those people, you know, those are your serial killers, you know, where they intentionally try to do that. Um, You know, uh, there's this woman, Lisa Romano, who has a bunch of videos on YouTube talking about empaths and narcissists and relationships. And, and I think this was her comment was that it's not that uh, empaths. All right, hang on. I have to think about this. She makes this comment basically that um, if you're a wounded empath, you tend to stay with a narcissist longer so that if, you had worked on healing yourself and healing your inner wounding, you know, then you might interact with a narcissist or might start a relationship with a narcissist, but you would end it a lot faster, you know? And so you wouldn't experience this long-term 
situation. You know, so there might be somebody that you meet at a party or meet at work or in some group, you know, and you quickly find out that, you know, they're a narcissist. So instead of staying, you know, and, you know, because what they'll do, the narcissist will do things. And if you're okay, you know, if you're going to sit there and just listen to them talk for forever, or you're going to support their agenda and not take care of you, they're going to come back because you're easy pickings, you know? And so, I mean, and that's one of my big points, although some people disagree with me, is that, you know, there is our role. You know, if we don't create boundaries and kind of say, well, this is me and that's you, and I'm not in agreement to doing this, you know, on one level or another, they'll just keep coming back because they know that, they can get away with it, and there won't be any consequence. Uh, so there, there, there's the like dance from the title of your book. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and the biggest dance is so we have the empaths who want to help people. They want to heal people. They want to be supportive of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and especially as you become a more wounded empath, you know, this need accelerates, you know, and basically they want to give, give, give. And then you have your narcissist who, you know, just want to take care of themselves. And they're more than happy to take from the empath. And so now you're in a, so let's say a relationship forms, you know, and as time goes on, it's like, you know, the narcissist needs more and more. And so they will sit there and demand more of your time, more of your energy, you know, come up with, I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, people coming up with like fake illnesses that they don't have to work, you know, I mean, all kinds of weird stuff so that their partner will pick up the slack. Seriously. And, um, you know, so they will sit there and do less and less and support less and less. But the empath, because they need to have things feel, you know, they, they feel it. And so if they feel that their partner is hurting, you know, or there's something going on inside of them, they want to fix it. You know, they don't want to feel this emotional and energetic discord in the air and they would rather fix what's going on than have that experience within them. And so they'll keep stepping up to the plate. And so the narcissist just keeps dumping more on their plate, you know, and the empath will just keep picking it up until it goes from a relationship that might've been, and I'm kind of joking here, 50, 50 to something that's like 90, 10 where the narcissist really isn't doing anything. And the empath is doing everything. And it's... With a smile. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, if there's a marriage with these opposing... Uh, personality traits. There, there, 
you know, what you uh, bring up in your book is that uh, both uh, started with some type of abuse or trauma, but it, it was like the coping mechanisms or mm-hmm. what what created the um, end result personality. So it's actually, you know, th- th- there's a very common ground in the, uh, you know, the, the way the people dealt with the abuse is how they they grew up later in life. And so can can you explain that in, in a mm-hmm. little bit more detail, please? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, and I think that this is um, really important, actually. You know, so as I, I mentioned earlier, you know, both empaths and narcissists had, for the most part, toxic upbringings. You know, whether their parents were uh, too permissive or too controlling. Um, you know, and I've even seen in some families where some children grow up to be empaths and other ones turn out to be narcissists, which is just a very interesting, you know, and it's just about the reaction. And so individuals who turn out to be empaths, in my opinion, looking at it from a very subtle energy perspective, is that they've never lost hope. You know, they, they're experiencing this trauma in their life, but there's always this last glimmer of hope that if I work harder, if I do this better, if I try more, if I blah, 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 then they'll love me. Then they'll give me their attention. You know, whatever that is, and that dynamic moves them forward in life with hope. But that hope also allows them to ground in their body and on some level release the hurt, release the pain, release at least some of it, you know, so that they can move forward. You know, unfortunately, with many people in that situation, they, um, they learn to, you know, they, they let it go. You know, so, you know, I just got spanked, you know, and I'm upset, you know, but after a few hours or a couple of days, I've let it go. I'm back, you know, and because you're a child, you know, it's not like you can go somewhere else. You can't fire your parents, you know, you can't, you know, and so you end up reengaging with these people who are hurting you. You know, so it creates this very weird dynamic where it's like, okay, you just beat me, but now I'm coming back for more. You know, and so there is this whole kind of mindset to it. But the biggest thing is about having that piece of hope. With narcissists, it's like they lose hope. They're unable to ground. They're unable to let go of the trauma. And so they just hang on to it and kind of stuff it somewhere, you know. And so individuals who are narcissists, 
It's like they don't look at their own stuff. They don't want to fix their own stuff. They'll never go to counseling. They'll never go to therapy because there isn't anything wrong. You know, so even though, okay, so um, this friend of mine, big narcissist, uh, lost a son, lost this woman who he was engaged to, um, when he was in his early 20s, his mom was a huge narcissist. I mean, just like all of this stuff happened, but it didn't bother him, you know, and wasn't interested in talking about it, wasn't interested in looking at it, because if he looked at any of it, it meant that he had to open the door to that closet where he took all of his pain and all of his hurt and shoved it because he couldn't release it and didn't want to go there, not interested in going there. You know, so most narcissists won't go there, you know, and so you rarely see a narcissist uh, go for therapy. They would obviously never read a book like this because <laughs> there isn't anything wrong with them. Because uh, it's, you know, you're the messed up person, you know, and, um, You know, and it's just kind of sad, actually. You know, but the reality is, is that they never can grow. You know, they're really just stuck in an emotional pattern, you know, and they just learn better ways of saving face and putting a mask over the top of it so that you can't see the wounded child inside. And, you know, since... since yeah, you do bring up uh, the energy vampires. Um, and, um, the character, or, you know, there's the mythological uh, character. Um, what was his name? Uh, narcissist. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, that I don't know, it goes back what three thousand years it's or so. It's a Greek myth. Yeah, uh, you know you, you know, do you know, in, in this book, you know, you do return to your roots of incorporating what the ancients were perceiving, and use mm-hmm. those. <laughs> Well, yeah, you, you, know, you, you bring up uh, the energy vampires. Well, that's like a what medieval legend. Okay, it, it, it's it, it's pretty characteristic of your writing, just uh, making you know, today's readers aware of what uh, is a, a behavioral problem that that was identified. A long time ago. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but I think in contemporary society, you know, many people understand that terminology. You know, when you talk about an energy vampire, which is why, mm-hmm. in my opinion, I use it, you know, because I wanted people to be able to relate on a really personal level to that dynamic. I mean, because... 
all energy, all narcissists are energy vampires, you know. And the sad part is, is that many people have been trained to be the host, to be the victim of the energy vampires, based on our family of origin, you know. And we, you know, so if you're the person that's sitting there listening to the narcissist going blah 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 blah, you were trained to be a host, to have the energy vampire suck energy off of you. Now, isn't that scary to even think Mm -hmm. about that? That, wait a minute, I'm participating in this, and one, I'm the host, and two, I was trained to do this. I mean, I know for me, I mean, my mom would uh, yell at me or whatever, and you know, I would just turn down the volume, you know, and then I was married to a guy and he would, he would have discussions with me, discussions, except basically he just like lectured me and talked at me and I would just turn down the volume. And so he can go on for 45 minutes. It didn't matter. I didn't hear a damn thing he said, uh, <laughs> or at least not like on an auditory level. I'm sure like some part of my psyche heard what he said, you know, but I was not in the present moment. I was like over somewhere else in a field, picking flowers, you know, doing something else, not standing there listening to him, blah, 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 you know. And now I realize it's like, wow, I'm a great host, Mark. <laughs> All right, not for anybody else because I don't do that anymore, but in my past. But you are. You are. Thanks. I'm trying to give it up for Lent. And actually, Mark, really, no. You know, there is having a conversation with someone, and even though we all have our moments where we just kind of go off and, you know, talk for entirely too long, um, but to just sit there and inside I'm going, I wish this person would shut up. You know, it's a difference. It's, it's a, there's a difference between listening to someone who's long-winded but interesting and someone who – is long-winded, and on the inside, I'm going, I wish they would shut up. See the difference? Well, I I don't want you to shut up because I, I think... Are you trying you, to say I'm long-winded? <laughs> well, that, that, that doesn't... You, you provide a thorough answer. I know, I'm just teasing. Um... <laughs> You know, but I think it is our internal intention, you know, where before I would just sit there and roll my eyes and, again, turn down the volume. You know, and now I say, well, you know, I got an appointment coming up or whatever, and I, you know, stop it. You know, I get it to stop because I don't want to participate anymore. You know, and so it's just a very different thing. So they might get like a little little nibble. Um, but, you know, not 45 minutes to an hour of my time and energy. I had a girlfriend, and I won't mention her name, but I had a girlfriend, and she would literally call me at 8 o'clock in the morning. See, this is how my evaluation when that Band-Aid was ripped off, I'm sitting there looking at all these people, and I'm like, holy crap. She would literally call me at 8 o'clock in the morning, okay, every like not every day, but a lot of days, And I'd ask her, or or no, I would mistakenly 
ask her, how are you doing? Huge mistake, huge mistake, huge mistake, because then it was, well, my period started and I have cramps and literally for like an hour till I finally was just like, I got to go, you know? And so she dated, she dated this guy and I love this guy to death. He goes, oh yeah, she does that to me. He goes, I put the phone down and I go and I wash the dishes and then I come and pick the phone back up and go, uh-huh, really? Okay. And then I put the phone down and I go fold laundry. I mean, he literally told me he did that because she didn't really care whether you were listening or paying attention or part of the conversation. She was just going to talk at you. And I'm like, wow, she really was a giant energy vampire. Put the phone down and did dishes. I was like, oh, my God, I love you. I started doing that after that. Yeah, uh, Maybe uh, not dishes, but... Yeah, we're uh, we're looking for guests like that too. But there, you know, w- w- with one of the uh, problems problems with the narcissist is the eventual, you know, discard and, but they will keep coming back around to check on you, you know, doing the hoovering. Um, what's a way to deal with situations like that? Well, I think, um, you know, maybe creating a little context for that statement, okay. and maybe we, you might need to remind me of where we're going with that question. Um, you know, so narcissists have a very definite gameplay, you know, Mm -hmm. so definite that I was shocked that there's even like vocabulary that is tied to their um, behavior patterns. I mean, and it's very consistent and it really doesn't matter who it is. They do the exact thing over and over again. So, you know, and I'm going to talk about this, um, more in a intimate relationship, but this could happen in any relationship, just maybe not as intense. You know, so the first part of the relationship, you know, they want to get you enticed, you know, and so they'll want to talk to you all the time and they make you feel good. And, you know, if it's somebody that you're interested in, you th- they, you're led to believe that they're really into you and, you know, there's something going on and, you know, that um, they want to be with you. I don't know how, you know, and so, you know, they kind of get you thinking about them, you know, and especially if you're an empath, it's like they get in your space and now they, you're thinking about them a lot, you know, and, um, you know, but the, the, you know, and that's called love bombing, you know, and then tied to that is something called future faking. And the future faking, you know, is just kind of like a mind F, and I'm not going to say the rest of that word, because it gets to you, you know, and so 
you know, they start with the love bombing and contacting you and sending you flowers and cute little pictures on text and, you know, that whole kind of thing, you know, but then it's not much after that they're making comments like, oh, we're soulmates or, you know, we should, you know, start a business together or we should do this or, you know, down the road, I could see us getting married, you know, and, and putting Mm -hmm. these thoughts into your mind about, well, this is where I see, because you think this is what they're thinking. This is where I see us going, you know, but the reality is, is that they're just taking what you information you provided and feeding it back to you, telling you what they think you want to hear so that you're like, wow, we have the same goals. We have the same dreams. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is a great thing. You know, and so that can all go well, fine and dandy until one day where maybe you had a bad day and you, you know, argue with them or you get sick or, you know, whatever it is that you are, you know, you just get tired of their crap. You know, but you, um, you know, you put some kind of obstacle in the way and then everything can change, you know, and I've heard stories of individuals that, you know, everything is great, you know, they're all in love and now they're going to get married and then you say, you know, their partner says, I do, and everything from the day after that has changed. And they're no longer this loving, caring, wanting to do stuff with you person. They just become a totally different person. Um, You know, but they don't really like confronting. They will, you know, and if you confront them about like their lives or whatever, they will go into part two of the narcissistic relationship, the devaluation period. Um, You know, and they will just do anything. And in the book, there's a whole bunch of stuff um, that I talk about, you know, gaslighting, projection, Mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance, and the silent silent treatment, treatment, you know, Mm -hmm. and I could tell stories about these different concepts that would just make you go like, seriously, you know, Um, like crazy making Weird, weird stuff. Weird. That makes you go, somebody actually did that? Yes, it does happen. Um, You know, and so, and basically that's just to try to punish you, you know, but it also creates this like up and down relationship, you know, where it's like um, you can, you know, you ask them to take the garbage out and they don't do it. So you say, you know, I thought you were going to take the garbage out, you know, and now you have to sit there and wait for the backlash. Uh, well, now you're questioning their judgment and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so they might go into one of these, you know, modalities, um, you know, where they basically can treat you like crap, um, you know, in their own way. And then, you know, then you get sick of it and, you know, they will um, go and then be nice to you, you know, which is kind of part of part of part three, which is the discard phase, where basically 
It's like, you know, you start confronting them more about what's going on and you start to realize that maybe they're not the person that they seem to be in the first place, you know, and that's when things, you know, can get really crazy because you're like, okay, you know, I'm done. We can't, I can't do this anymore. And then they'll turn around and be like, oh, but I love you and I'll go to therapy and we can go to counseling and I'll do this and I'll do that in the hope of sucking you back in. But they're not really ever going to change, you know? And so there's a number of things that they do in this third stage, which is just crazy making in and of itself, you know? So if you're in a relationship, you know, whether it's friendship or, you know, an intimate relationship where they seem to just be a fine what fine weather friend, that's the right phrase, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have to really ask the question, you know, are they really a narcissist? And if you sit there and try to escape and break away from what's going on and they need something, that's usually where it, it comes out the most. It's like if they don't need you, you won't hear from them. But if they need you, they will come with all smiles and kumbaya and be like, mm-hmm. oh, I love you. And, you know, how come we haven't seen you? And, you know, and making you think like, oh, well, maybe it was me. You know, maybe I took what happened or their lack of concern the wrong way. And so you start questioning yourself, but really it's just a big fat lie because narcissists lie. Ooh, big time lie. Okay, so (laughs) with that said, I can move back to your question about what do you do um, Mm -hmm. after – okay, so, you know, if you can go and just, you know, turn and run, that would be my best suggestion, you know, especially if they are pretty significantly narcissistic, you know, because they will try to suck you in and suck you in and suck you in with the hope – Because remember, empaths have hope. You know, they've lived their life based on hope. You know, and so they will tap into those feelings with the hope that things are going to change. And so sometimes if you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it can take a number of times of taking them back. And I'm kind of putting that in quotes, but taking them back before you get to... Um, the place where you're not going to do that anymore, you know, because you recognize that they're not really going to change ever. Um, You know, which is just sad again. So Dr. Rita, after just, the breakup happens and, you know, you know, pro- uh, probably be best to uh, delete them from social media. Um, oh, definitely. You know, because, okay, you know, because of what was going on um, earlier in the relationship. So, you know, Physiologically, you know, we're not immune to what happens. And so when we're in a period of trauma, when there's some drama 
going on in your life with these individuals, um, you know, it can activate the stress response in your body. And, you know, and then you were like, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I got to, you know, cut loose while I can, you know, but then they'll turn around and be like, oh, but I'll go, you know, that whole lovey-dovey thing. They'll come back with that. And it will set off a dopamine response. And so now hormonally, you're doing this up and down thing, you know, from a trauma response into this really big, you know, serotonin, dopamine release, you know, and it just makes you feel good. It's like, oh, you know, I can have that hope again. And so when you split up with a narcissist, um, you know, you can experience something that's called trauma bonding, you know, and it is basically like detoxing yourself from these severe emotional shifts. Um, and so, um, you know, one person that I know related it to that it's harder to break free of a trauma bond than it is to detox yourself from, um, a heroin addiction. Like, ooh, that's, that's a pretty intense thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so every time, you know, so if you keep them on your social media, if you, you know, don't block their number on your phone or, you know, block their email, whatever that is, it's like every time they send you a text, even if it's just like a cute little huggy bear, picture, you know, you know, one, they just want you to engage, you know, so if you respond, now you've just given them a fix, you know, but when they send it to you in the first place, you've just gotten a fix and it puts you back into that cycle of hormones. And so one of the best things to do is to just cut those ties completely because it makes it so that you can begin to start emotionally regulating yourself better. Um, so that's my comment, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> no, it's good. So, okay, so you know, with the deletion of you know, contacts on social media uh you know the healing process is starting and you, know, you have this interesting phrase you use in your book uh the journey to medium mm-hmm. so um let's you know look at how the you know, we can overcome this, and you know, you know, you're proof of that. You know what? Uh, what? You know, what are some some of these uh, initial stages? It's tough. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, do, doing it on your own, but it 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 can be done. Well, and I think you know the first thing is for the people. You know, and I got into this kind of whole little bit of fight on Facebook the other day about this, 
Um, you know, I think the first thing is for people that have found themselves getting in toxic relationships over and over again is mm-hmm. that they have to go and look at their part in the relationship. You know, like a dance, it takes two to tango. And so it's just not that the partner is a narcissist. It's they are bringing something to the table or not bringing something to the table, as the case may be, that allows this whole situation to occur in the first place. You know, and that's really what this book is about, is for people to look at what is going on. You know, so that first step into meet them is to start looking at yourself. You know, and looking at how, you know, what you brought to the table. You know, like my story about, um, you know, turning down the volume and being a really good host for anybody that wanted to just, like, talk to me for incessant hours at a time, um, you know, was a really big lesson for me to learn and go, wow, you know, this was my behavior. And, well, one, I don't have to do that if I don't want to, you know, or I can just end it where I want to or need to, Um, you know, so it's where are you and what are what's going on inside of me that is allowing this to happen, you know, and where do I have deficits within myself that need healing, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, just because you're an empath and you've had crappy relationships that you suck because, you know, well, then I would have to say I suck. And even though, you know, for a really long time I did think I sucked, even though, like, I had all this stuff, um, you know, you have to start changing it. Um, You know, but one of the things that I have seen is that people, you know, so there's identifying your part in the whole dynamic. You know, one of the other pieces that seems very prevalent is that individuals who enter into abusive relationships – tend to not love themselves, you know, they, or they tend to not value themselves. And so they will allow things to happen that someone that has uh, healthier feelings of self-worth, healthier feelings of self-esteem would never let happen in the first place, you know? And so um, learning to love yourself you know, is a really important thing, you know, taking care of yourself, discovering, you know, what makes you tick and then operating on it. You know, and I joke around in the book, you know, and actually I have it sitting open and and one of the sentences says, you might be thinking to yourself, but, but, but if I put my needs first, wouldn't that make me a narcissist? But the reality is, is that if you're an empath, you are a caring and loving soul, you know, and your, your very nature says that I want to help you, you know, and I want to do for you. And there really isn't any way, I mean, unless something's really changed, that you could be selfish and greedy in the same way a narcissist is. And as you start to heal you just become better equipped at making choices on how you want to use your energy, you know, and, you know, it's kind of like a tough love attitude where it's like, okay, you know, this person really does need me and I am choosing 
to help them. But sometimes, you know, people have to deal with their own karma, you know, and learn the lesson and learn that tough love and deal with the consequences of their choices and their behavior. So, yes, you know, uh, another technique for healing is uh, journaling and it's okay you wrote a whole book on uh you know your experiences and a lifetime of observations you know when uh, Fanny Koshis was a guest with us uh, about a year ago. We were covering, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Poe's writing career. Uh, you know, that's one of those uh, almost like best examples of someone uh, using literature to work out their hurt and uh, Charles Dickens uh, you know, did that too you know, you know a lot of it's you know just based on that you know, uh, you know his parents when his uh, family was in the Marshall Sea prison you know he had to go to the, the blacking factory and put uh, paste the labels on uh, bottles and uh you know, try, you know, turn his money in to try to get his parents out of the debtor's prison. So, you know, you have a another long history of people using journals or art to um, you know, for, for for therapy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and the thing that I, I like about journaling, which is, you know, but actually art would fall into the same category. You know, one of the things that um, I think really helps to understand, you know, and so earlier we were talking about, you know, not being in the present moment, you know, not going, well, what do I want now? What do I need now? Which would be a very loving act, you know, taking care of what I want or what I need. Um, But many of us aren't in those, in that place. And so journaling can help us to get to that place or to find that place. You know, it is a very meditative practice, um, you know, and so, and you can use it to just, you know, sit and write, um, but you can sit, use it also to ask yourself questions and explore what's going on inside of you, you know, because you can sit there and think about something, but it has been shown, and if you've done journaling, you would totally agree with me, that you can start accessing unconscious thoughts and unconscious beliefs by actually putting pen to paper. You know, there are some people that journal on the computer. I can't get into it. You know, I think that there is something that happens while you are actually writing longhand. You know, but the same thing with, you know, doing art. You know, it is a focused practice. You know, there's something that's called mindfulness. You know, and mindfulness is about doing anything with that one thing in mind. You know, so if you're brushing your teeth, you're paying attention to brushing your teeth 
and you're not working on that project at work or thinking about what you're making for breakfast, you're brushing your teeth, you know, and so you are filling your brain with that activity. So when you're journaling, you're writing. And so it's kind of hard to be thinking about what you're going to be making for dinner if you are trying to ask yourself, you know, why do I choose to allow people to just talk to me for hours on end? And you know what I mean? You, uh-huh. you can't do both at the same time, you know, and kind of the same with art, you know, but there's pretty much anything that we do if we get into the focus, going to the gym, you know, another great place to find that mindful practice. Um, for me, I mean, some of the things that I enjoy, you know, other than journaling is, um, and don't laugh, Mark. Um, I like raking leaves, sweeping, you know, anything where there's this like motion, you know, I don't know what it is about it. I hate vacuum cleaners, but I will sweep your house. Won't vacuum it. Mm-mm-mm. Hate vacuuming. Um, raking leaves. Are, are, are you, you're glad to visit next October. Okay. Um, you know, and you know, when I was married and was bringing up the boys, it was like, man, if I got pissed off, the house was getting cleaned. You know, I'd go and clean bathtubs and scrub sinks and wash floors. But the reality was, was that I was in a focused state of mind doing these activities and burning off energy at the same time. You know, I was in a mindful practice, and then when it was done, you know, I'd feel a whole lot better, and I wouldn't be mad and blah, blah, blah. You know, what I didn't realize, and, and then it just lined me up to take some more the next day. You know, I learned that lesson. Um, <laughs> you know, instead of just kicking the jerk out of the house, you know. Um, yeah. Hmm. The things you learn, you know, if you only learned them when you were 15, it would just, life would just be so much easier. But probably when you're 15, you're not really ready to hear those things to make the changes that need to happen. Yeah, and, yeah, you you just mentioned meditation, uh, you know, there are breathing techniques that you have in your book. yeah, you're stressing that the you know these are ways to you know, con- control the mind, and that brings us back to uh, aligning the chakras. Correct. You know, um, you know, controlling the mind is one way. You know, doing energy work uh, on yourself, grounding deprogramming, which is, I'm not even going to get into that because it's a little bit of an advanced concept, but by the time you get to that part in the book, you'd understand what I was talking about. Um, You know, but any kind of energy medicine technique um, is based on the premise, intention, intention, intention. Uh, Lynn Lynn McTaggart, who wrote the intention experiment Um, she did these experiments and I think they were her experiments where they had uh, healers come and work with HIV patients or maybe it wasn't her experiment, but there was an experiment done and it was in her book. 
And what they found was that changes occurred, or right, it didn't matter what modalities the, the practitioner used, you know, so whether it was Reiki or shamanic healing or therapeutic touch, you know, it didn't matter the modality. Where they found changes happening was with the level of intention and concentration that the practitioner brought to the table. You know, and so even energy medicine, you know, is also a mindful practice, you know, except it's a very healing directed mindful practice. You know, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book, which I think is really cool, is, um, you know, kind of in this area is about clearing your house, clearing the getting rid of the bad mojo in your environment, you know, because mm-hmm. if you've just broken up with someone or kicked them out or it doesn't really matter, you know, if they've been to your house and have hung around there for any length of time, or if they're an online friend, you know, there's going to be some of their energy around, you know? So I talk about, um, I like to use the term ritual purification, um, you know, which is a term used by indigenous cultures, which means basically things you can do to get rid of bad mojo. You know, and so I talk about uh, using smoke as in smudging to clear Mm -hmm. your environment. Um, I talk about using water to clear your environment. Um, You know, but these tools are maybe not the water, but you can like smudge your computer and, you know, use the intention of, smudge clearing your Facebook page and you know I mean the, the the applications really are endless and it's just a matter of inspiration um, calling you to apply some of these techniques to any area of your life that you might be compelled to do how's that you know because many of these things you know there aren't necessarily hard and fast rules You know, so you might read like one person's book and they tell you to do this and you read another person's book, you know, and it's kind of similar, but they tell you to do something else. And it's because there aren't any hard or fast rules. And so the way for you to move forward is in the direction that you are being inspired to do, you know, and in the way that you are being led to move forward, you know, so if meditating is something that you're being drawn to do, then that should be your way to work on the healing, you know, or maybe it's journaling or maybe it's Mm -hmm. saying a mantra, you know, there isn't a right or wrong way in creating that healing space for yourself other than paying attention to what's going on inside and loving yourself. I mean, those are the two most important parts and the rest is just, you know, more technique to help you get there. You know, with with all the you know discussions you know we've had tonight about uh, healing, um, I thought there, you know, people be, become a better person after going through this uh, you know the journey to meet them you know you talk about ha- having more 
awareness uh, for other, you know, just you know, become more empathetic and you know, is very similar to what uh, we covered last week with um, Dr. Andrew Silverman talking about the Shroud of Turin and you know, he, he even um, wrote, you know, during near-death experiences, people often experience everything that they have done to others as being done to them. It seems to me that what the man of the shroud was advocating was to extend that deep empathy into our daily lives such that we might truly love our neighbor as ourself. Mm-hmm. And it, well, it, 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 you know, you just brought, you know, your, um, you know, the points that you bring up are, are a nice tie-in with our show from last week. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, yeah. What was I going to say? Um, you know, this but, is the. That this is the greatest show you've ever been on. It is, and I love you to death. Ooh, and I said that in public and on air. Um, <laughs> um, what was I going to say? You know, I think bottom line is that it's our job to make ourselves happy. You know, nobody else is going to do that. You know, and individuals that are narcissists, you know, you were sitting there saying that, you know, the goal should be that we should treat other people like we want to treat them to treat us. Right. But there would have to be a certain level of empathy for them to understand how it would make the other person feel in the first place. Just saying. Um. You know, but I think that's bottom line is, you know, if we if we look to make ourselves happy, you know, and look to love ourselves, then there's, um, you know, we we tend to be more willing to step up to the plate and do things that maybe were more uncomfortable, you know, and it kind of mm-hmm. changes our attitude toward doing things, you know, I had a client and we were talking about weight loss and I mm-hmm. said, you know, but you're addressing weight loss from, it's like a punishment, you know, I'm not eating or, you know, changing my eating because it's a punishment, you know, and I have to go to the gym. I said, well, what if you just kind of change the spin on it? You know, and every time I don't eat the entire bag of Oreo cookies, I'm loving myself, you know, and every time I go to the gym, I'm doing something to support me and my happiness because my goal is I don't want, I want to lose weight. That's my goal. That's what's going to make me happy, you know, and so instead of beating yourself up for lacking, pat yourself on the back for every single thing you do in support of your goal. I mean, it really just shifts the energy a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's points like that that um, you know, make your book uh, very valuable in today's world. And it's like, 
you know, you know, I think there there is more awareness about uh, abuse treatment uh, and you know, PTSD. You know, when I was ten, you know, yeah, that yeah, you know, there really wasn't uh, you know, stuff for kids. Um, is mainly for um, the uh, veterans returning from Vietnam, and you know, so, you know the technique, you know, the breathing techniques you mentioned, and uh, aligning your chakras, you know, meditating, uh, all, all that is. Very much needed in today's world. Well, thank you. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you have to start somewhere. You know, in order to make these changes, you have to start somewhere. And, um, you know, and wanting to change these things can bring up a lot of fear in people. You know, about, um, well, if I do this, if I tell them this, if I say no, what's the reaction going to be? You know, and in making changes to love yourself, you know, because loving myself might look something like uh, so-and-so asked you to come pick them up and take them to the supermarket, you know, but you were up till three o'clock in the morning because you have a sick cat and you really just want to stay in bed and sleep because you were up till three o'clock in the morning taking a sick cat and you're taking care of a sick cat and you, you're, you know, you're tired and you're worried about your cat. You know, loving yourself is being able to say no to that friend. And if that friend decides they want to dump you because you said no, that you're okay with that consequence because it's more important for you to love yourself than give up of yourself to take care of somebody else. You know, and I don't mean that like in every single situation, you know, but Mm -hmm. in situations where, you know, it is the more loving thing to do, you know, where you just back out and take care of yourself. You know, because if you're an empath, you probably really never learned how to take care of yourself. And you probably, you know, were taught, you know, indirectly that it's more important to take care of everybody around you. The people pleaser. Yes, sir. You know, and there's there's a lot of them out there. Um, you, know. So, yeah, we, you know, we're approaching, unfortunately, only 10 minutes left. Uh do you have uh, any upcoming appearances Ooh. you want to promote? I have all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, in the next couple of months, I have a bunch of different interviews that I'm not going to go into. Um, I am going to be doing a book signing here in Ooh. Marshall, Texas um, on March 7th. I will be at the, I don't remember the name of the event. I want to call it like the kick your butt, self in the butt 
Exfil. Um, eh, of course, it doesn't come up on that thing very quick. Um, um, also in Texas. Um, but I'll be posting, you know, I'm pretty good about posting stuff on Facebook for people to take a look at. Um, you know, and so if people want to kind of keep up with what's going on with me, like different interviews I'm going to be doing, you know, I'm working on doing um, a book tour, you know, so like the next city I'm working on is, or the next cities are Dallas, Houston, Corpus Christi, uh, Biloxi, Mississippi. Wow. Is mm-hmm. that Mississippi? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that area somewhere and Little Rock, Arkansas. So that's kind of like the next stop in book signings, although I'm not quite sure, you know, I, I just am starting that process because the book just released. So it's, you know, kind of a process. You know, so if anybody listening um, is in an area that would be interested in having me come do a presentation or you have an event or uh, would like to help organize a book, book signing, you know, I'd really appreciate an email. Okay, and, and then get your email from your website? Yeah, I, the best thing is to just go to soulhealer.com and use the contact form because then they don't end up in my spam box. Okay. I don't want that. Yeah, me either. You know, and I do have a uh, page on Facebook, uh, Dr. Rita Louise. So there's Rita Louise, but I would do the Dr. Rita Louise because that tends to be a little bit more up to date on events and happenings in the world of Dr. Rita. Okay. And how are uh, things going with – Stepping out of Eden. Um, well, you know, I really never had much opportunity to do much with that book uh, because I was in a really dysfunctional relationship oh. and then ended up starting to write this book. And so um, it's there. You know, if anybody's interested in my other work, obviously they can go to my webpage, soulhealer.com. Um, you know, this new book and all of my other books are available, you know, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, blah, 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 blah. Um, and this book, uh, Mark is actually available in the ebook form right off the upfront. So that was a very cool development that happened with this title. So that's exciting. Okay. Well, I, we had a great discussion about your stepping out of Eden book and, I thought it was really neat material in there about uh, all of our the rituals today are based on you know, what our ancestors were doing long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very neat. Um, information that you know nothing's really changed all that much not really you know and it's interesting um i was talking to someone about this book you know and and making the comment about you know how we are programmed you know from a very early from birth 
into this is the expectations of society, you know, and this is how she should, should act and react and et cetera, et cetera. And they were like, well, I wonder when that all started. And it took me into this whole dissertation about the whole stepping out of Eden concept and the development of humanity and society, you know, and so some of the core beliefs that we have and, you know, the dysfunction we have, you know, has probably been with us for thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. It makes you wonder, you know, how far the idea of narcissism goes back, you know, and it just came into my mind. I bet Caesar was a narcissist and that's why they killed him. Probably. I didn't ever read, you know, Shakespeare, but I would probably think so because they really hated that guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Brutus may have had some issues as well. Might probably. have had two two nar- two narcissists uh, working to, you know, they were doing their own dance. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a series called Young Sheldon, which is, I guess, is a prequel to Big Bang Theory, which I could never watch. I mean, I just, I couldn't, I, I've seen two episodes, and that's too, too many. But the Young Sheldon series is actually pretty funny. You know, and now that I live in East Texas, and this is where the the series originates, it's even funnier because I know those people. But it's interesting, you know, and if you're not quite sure what an overt narcissist seems like, watch that show because, you know, the character is extremely narcissistic in his behavior, you know, and Mm. his parents are very enabling of his behavior. I mean, he's not a bad kid, you know, so it's not like they're enabling bad behavior. Well, bad behavior as in like deviant behavior. But they're enabling bad behavior because he gets his way all the time, you know, and he tends to be very demanding, you know, but he's also brilliant, you know. So it, it, it's just very interesting just watching it. I mean, other than it's actually a pretty funny show, in my opinion. Um, okay. And there's no laugh track. That's huge for me. I can't. <laughs> and you actually okay. laugh to it. You know, a show is really not good when they have to put a laugh track in to, like, make you think it's funny. When it's not. Like the Brady Bunch and Scooby-Doo. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on the next next uh, time you're on. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're uh, getting pretty close to the a- end of the show. I just want to wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. And you know, Dr. Reed, I love you too. And you know, Barbara, you want to step in and uh, give your benediction. <laughs> Blessings to all. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. I, I, Dr. Rito, it was always a pleasure to listen to you ramble and share your wisdom in your unique and genuine way. And, and I love the fact that you use your personal experiences to illustrate it, which which always makes it so much more fun. Um, make sure that everybody um, check us out. Uh, we have a really busy next couple of days coming up. Uh, we have a show tomorrow at noon on white spirit animals, and then we have a show on Sunday 
Um, and we have a show on Monday and on Tuesday. So um, we're going to be really cranking here, working very hard to keep you fascinated and, and to keep you informed. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Check us out on our YouTube channel, and if you enjoy your visit there, please make sure to subscribe to us. We greatly appreciate you sharing your time and um, efforts and sharing your attention with us. It's really cool to have people actually listening and, and paying attention and growing from what we're sharing. Good night, everybody.